We have uh, a guest, a wonderful guest with us today. Well, actually two guests, Tim and Donna Whipple. And Pastor Tim is going to be sharing the word today. And I want to just welcome him as he comes. I've learned so much from him already. It's just the beginning, I believe, of what God uh, wants to do in my life and in Gateway's uh, life as a church, that, to have someone that's experiencing God in their local community. And uh, let me say this, 13th fastest growing church in America, I got that right, 13th fastest growing church in America. A lot of pastors could be prideful or arrogant having that status, but that's something I've never seen from Tim. There's such a, uh, just a stance of humility, and uh, I appreciate that because it really gives us permission to be ourselves. They're not saying we got to do what they're doing. They're saying we got to follow the same God, be passionate about that, pursue that, and anything that they're doing that we want to steal, he says, we can steal. And uh, as, I said, as I said in training yesterday, we have. And uh, you know, we don't have to make an apology because it's been offered, so I don't know that it's necessarily stealing when it's offered. But, uh, but we are going to learn as much as we can as a church about what it is to, uh, to impact our community greater than we are. Can you say amen to that? Can you welcome Tim as he comes and leads us in the word? Well, to say that I'm excited to be here would be an understatement. I have looked forward to today for quite a while. I want to bring you greetings from a bunch of people in Florida who are praying for you and praying for me as uh, I travel and as I uh, spend time with you today. Just know there's a group of people far away from you who this side of heaven you will never know, but just know that they care and they value who you are and what you're doing in the kingdom. That's what this is all about, right? I mean, it really is. This is, this is about kingdom. You're wearing t-shirts today that say purpose over preference. It is, a, uh, it is a slogan that we at Bridgepoint have used for quite a while. Um, as a matter of fact, sitting on every single one of my staff members' desks is a little framed picture that says exactly what's on your t-shirt. Purpose over preference. Now, <clears throat> that's easy to say and it's easy to wear, especially when somebody hands you a t-shirt and says, put it on, right? Uh, it's pretty, pretty easy. It's a little bit harder to flesh out, right? Because we, by nature, are selfish people, aren't we? I mean, let's just face it. We are. We learned that from the very beginning. Uh, one of the very first words that many children learn to say is mine, right? That's mine. And what we do is we kind of sit in that selfishness and it becomes a part of our uh, our lives, it becomes normal for us. And, and we say, often say, what, what, what about me? What's in it for me? Uh, you know, we, we have a long ago, as a church, made a decision that what, whenever somebody comes to us in need, um, if it's a genuine need, if we can see the need there, we're going to respond. If, if a church comes to us and says, Hey, you know, we'd like to learn from what God's doing in your place, and uh, we'd like to uh, know what we can discover from you and from what God's doing there. Uh, we made a decision way early that it was uh, that we would never turn anybody away because it's it's not about us; it's about kingdom, and you are a part of a beautiful part of the kingdom. I just got to tell you, your front door. Oh my goodness, right? People think I live in paradise, and I do, by the way. Um, uh, we, we live in beaches and uh, palm trees and sand and an average temperature of 78 degrees year round. We are called the sunshine city because the sun does shine every day. So, uh, it's an amazing place to live, but I stepped outside yesterday and looked out your front door and said, oh my goodness, what a beautiful place you live. See, I would be one of those reverse snowbirds. We have snowbirds in Florida. Y'all are beginning to get a lot of retirees here. They come here to live. Um, most snowbirds uh, come to Florida to get away from the cold and get away from the snow. See, I would be a reverse snowbird. 
I would love to own a property right here in Colorado and continue to own uh, the beautiful place that God's provided for us in Florida. But I would come to Colorado in the winter and I would go to Florida in the summer. Kind of, kind of the opposite of what, because uh, the, the snow and the skiing and all of that would just be something that would be very, very attractive to me. And, and, and to be honest, I've never been to Colorado in the summer. I hear it's amazingly beautiful here, but I have come to enjoy the slopes and ski and spend time uh, in the mountains, enjoyed that many, many times, and so I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for just allowing me to spend a few minutes with you today. I want to do my best to unpack for you what I believe God's message is for you, and, and I've got to be honest with you, I kind of fought God a little bit on what He wanted me to share with you. I had some ideas and some thoughts about what, uh, what, what you would need to hear, what God would want me to say. And, and as I began to kind of craft and work a little bit on that, uh, God kept bringing me back to something that I had shared with my church recently that really, really had an impact on them. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you some things that, that I shared with my church that I think are applicable to any church anywhere. And, uh, and hopefully God will, will help you to take what I say to you today and then he'll multiply it in your heart and in your mind as you process it and think about it because see what I don't want you to do today is just to come in here and just kind of get a good message and then walk out of here the same way you walked in okay because that's kind of pointless right you could do that at some restaurant or some other place I mean that's not what we're here for right we're here to to see life change happen in us and we're here to be impacted by God and we're here to take what he's doing in us and then go out there because out there is the mission field right this is a holy huddle right and you you know what you do in the huddle right what do you do when you go to the huddle you call a play right you get together, you say, okay, here's what we're going to do, we're going to do this, you're going to go down here, you're going to be the bottle cap, and you're going to go over here and turn right, and you're going to be the little stick, and you're going to go out here 10 feet, and you're going to turn, and then, when, and then what do we do? We, after we get huddled and we've called the play, what do we do? We say, ready? This is participatory, okay, you can talk back here. I don't know what your pastor does, but at my church, they talk to me, all right, because it kind of helps me know that they're awake, all right, so what do you do? You go, Ready? There you go. Ready, break. Ready, break. And then they run to their positions, all right, to wherever they are positioned, uniquely shaped to be, okay, and they run the play. See, this is, this is the huddle, right? This is where we gather together. We, we, we hear the play. God speaks to us. He calls the play in our lives. And then we run to our uniquely shaped positions. Maybe it's a, a doctor. Maybe you're an attorney. Maybe you're uh, you know, a teacher. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're going to go to your school. Uh, maybe you're going to go to your athletic team. But you're going to go there because that's your position. And you've been uniquely placed there to run the play. Because you see, it's kind of pointless if you just break the huddle and go to the bench and never do anything with it, right? Because then you don't win the game. By the way, we play the game to win the game, right? I, I want you to win. I, I, want, I want God's church. I want the kingdom to win. I want to see Gateway win. Not for you. Not for you. Because you see... It's not about you. You're wearing it on your shirt. It's not about my preferences. By the way, I have a lot of them. I got some preferences. See, of all the women in the world, I could have married, but I preferred the one sitting right down here. And she kind of preferred me. And so together... But, but you see, we all have preferences. You have your favorite. If I ask you to tell me what your favorite hamburger would, would be, I bet if I, we gave you a microphone and said, what's, your, what's the best hamburger in Colorado Springs? If, if Don and I wanted to experience the best meat, by the way, we talked a lot about meat because you know, 
your pastor asked us, said, where do y'all want to go to eat? And we just said, we just want meat. Just give it. We've been in California, see, and in California, they've stopped eating meat. I don't understand it. They, they're all frou-frou-y, fruity, fleefy things. And, you know, I'm like, where's the meat, right? Uh, and, and so when we came here, we said, we're in Colorado. We're going to eat meat. So, uh, and they took us out. We had great meat last night. So, but, but if I were to ask you, if I wanted to experience the best hamburger in Colorado Springs, I bet you there would be a lot of you be able to go, oh, you need to go here, right? As a matter of fact, somebody tell me the best hamburger in Colorado Springs. And if you say McDonald's, I'm leaving. <laughs> All right, what's the best hamburger in Colorado? Say it. Okay, you see, yeah, uh, who? Thunder buttons? Mutton. Oh, thunder, okay, well, see, here's the problem. All of you said a different place, didn't you? Why? Because we have preferences. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with Thunder, Mutton, Button, or whoever he is. Uh, There's nothing wrong with all the places you named. Right? Because preferences are okay. But when preferences ride above mission and purpose, then we're in trouble. See, the church is not about our preferences. The church is about the play that God's calling. And, and you know what? But, 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 but God, I want to run. I want to run along. I want you to throw me the ball deep. God says, no, that's not the play. But God, I, I, I want you to run the ball. I, I'd like for you to hand me the ball because I think I can do better. No, that's not the play. See, God calls a play, and he's called you guys to run that play in your unique and, and special environment that he shaped you to be in. And so I want to encourage you, as you listen to this message, to set aside your preferences. Here's the deal. <clears throat> you may not even like me, and you know what? I really don't care. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't care if my people that I stand in front of like me or not. I, I really don't. Uh, so I certainly don't care whether you, because I'm going to get in a plane and fly back to, to uh, St. Petersburg. But, but here's what I care about. I care that you, that you fall in love with Jesus. Amen. And that's the most important thing. And when that happens for you, then your preferences take a back seat. By the way, they don't go away. There's nothing wrong with favorite hamburgers or favorite girls. All right, there's nothing wrong with that. But that purpose emerges and rides up. And as a result, then we're on mission and we're doing what God has called us to do. I want to ask you a very, very important question today. You ready? Here it is. Are you living on purpose? Or are you just living? You see, this whole thing isn't accidental. God doing something in your life today is not going to happen by osmosis. You're not just going to, they don't have anything that they put in these chairs that just oozes into your system. There's nothing in the air vents. There's nothing magical about what these guys do. There's no, nothing in the coffee. All right? It, 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 God wants you to live and he wants you to live on purpose are you doing that are you just hoping are you just accidentally let going through are you just hoping you're going to bump into something or are you living life on purpose I want to share with you a passage of scripture that I think is important I'm going to share it with you from the New Living Translation just because I love the way it reads and I've highlighted some words in here um, because I think they're important for you As you're going to think about purpose, if you're going to think about mission, if you're going to think about living life with intent, okay, not just accidentally, not just hope it's going to happen, but actually living on purpose, then these key words, I think, are going to jump out for you. Ephesians, if you've got your Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Like I said, I'm reading from the New Living in this particular passage. Listen to what it says. Lead a life worthy. There's that first word. Lead a life worthy of your calling. You're all called, by the way. You're all called. Lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every 
effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. Did you know that God has a future for you? God has a has a hope for you. Do you know what you know what the best definition of hope is? Some of you are holding hope in your arms right now. There's one right there that's kind of new. When I hold a baby, that's the perfect picture of hope. Because hope is potential. Do, do, have you realized the potential? Have, have you walked outside these doors? As a matter of fact, if we, we ought to take a field trip right now. And we ought to just walk outside these doors and stand. I stood yesterday and looked at the rooftops. And I said, oh my goodness, the potential that exists here. Hope. But notice how it's defined by Paul here. Glorious hope. You, you know what glorious hope is? That's not your hope. That's God's hope. That's, 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 that's supernatural hope. That's, that's out of the box hope. That's beyond your imagination kind of hope. That, that's, that's what exists for you. You and you corporate. Gateway. God has positioned you on purpose. You sit on this hill on purpose. God has brought you here on purpose. The question is, are you living on that purpose? Or are you just hoping in yourself instead of the glorious hope that God has for you? So I want to ask you a series of questions today. And I want you to write these down. Okay, I'm big on writing things down. So, by the way, I can see all of you. All right, so write these things down. Don't make me come out there and hand you a pen, all right? I want you to write some things down. Now, some of these are things that I want you to ponder later. I want you to think about, all right, that I want you to process, that I want you to take. Because if you don't take it outside of here, then again, it's pointless. We should have just gone to the button place, okay, and, and just hung out there for a little while, right? But we're here because we're calling a play. So you got to know the play, all right, so that you can go out here and run it. All right, so I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to make some statements. I want you to write them. If you see it on the screen, it's important, okay? So write it down. Here's, here's the first question. How do you leverage your life for something bigger than your life? Have you ever said, is this all there is? You ever done that? I mean, we do that. Don't, is, is this it? You know, you plan for something big, like maybe a wedding. You have this, all these, or some kind of big event or some activity, or maybe it's Christmas. And, you know, you, you kind of go through it, and then at the end of it, you kind of go, is that it? We worked so hard for that. And, and maybe that's the way you feel about life. It, it, is this it? How do you leverage this life on purpose for something bigger than this life. Listen to me. Did you know that God wants more for you than you want for you? Amen. You say that's impossible. Oh, no, no, no. The Bible says that he can do immeasurably more than you and I can ever even think or imagine. Now, i got to tell you, i got a great imagination. Right? I can imagine. God wants more for me than that. God wants more for your life than you want for your life. So how do you leverage it? I've been using this word a lot in our church, leveraging. You know, my job is to leverage you for the kingdom. Your job is to leverage me and people like your pastor and your team here. And by the way, you have a great team. Your job is to leverage them for the kingdom. But they're, you're, listen, it's not just a one-way street. See, so many churches, our church communities are littered with people, with, with churches who, who leverage their staff, but they never allow their staff to leverage them. 
You're to be leveraged for the kingdom. Leveraged for life. Not only your life, but for others' lives. So how do you do that? Here's the deal. Every one of you have influence. Everyone has influence. Everyone. All of you. Small, little. You say, babies don't have influence. Just let them cry and see what you do. They have influence. You have influence. The question is, what are you doing with your influence? Because we all have it. Here's the next question I want you to ponder. What are you doing with your influence and what God has given you? What are you doing with it? God has given all of us opportunity. God has given all of us influence. The question is, what are we doing with it? Now, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Exodus. We're going to hang out in the Old Testament today. And uh, we're going to specifically look at Exodus chapter 31. Now, I've got to tell you, um, I, I went to school, I've studied, I, I, I know the story of Exodus. Uh, you know, spent a lot of time in there dissecting it, breaking it apart, looking at every word, looking at the original language, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But, but as I was looking through Exodus, I, I got to tell you, I never really grabbed a hold of the, the, the part of Exodus that I want you to grab a hold of today. I, I kind of read it. I know I'd read it. I, to be honest, I didn't, didn't have a whole lot of impact. I'm like, yeah, well, that's, that's a neat part of the story. But I just kind of skipped over it because all the good stuff was before and all the good stuff was after. And I kind of missed this part. So, so let me lay some groundwork for you. You know what's happening in Exodus, right? All right you know, the, the, the people, God's people are captive, right? They're, they're enslaved by the Egyptians. And God chooses this guy named Moses with all of his flaws, with all of his dents. And by the way, he had many, all right? But he still had purpose. No matter how flawed you are, you have purpose. He still had influence. And God wanted him to leverage his influence and God wanted him to leverage what God was going to do in him for an incredible purpose and mission. And so God uses Moses to lead the people out of captivity. We know that story, right? And if you're not familiar, if you're kind of new to the Bible, man, it's a great story to read. And, and, and you know, it's been chronicled in, in movies. You remember the Prince of Egypt, the, the animation, you know. So that's the story we're talking about. He leads them across the Red Sea. But see, all along the way, these people keep falling back into preference. And so, but, but we don't like it here, and we don't, we don't want to do this, and, and we want to do that, and, and, and we like it our way, and why can't we do this? And some of them were even so crazy enough to think, we, we were better off in captivity, we don't like it. So they're just being knotheads. Preference-driven knotheads, right? Sounds like some of you. You say, you don't even know me. No, but I'm watching the wives bump their husbands right now. He's talking about you. You're the knothead, right? So, so th that's kind of the background. Now, what, what God says is, look, I want these people to know me. And so he calls Moses up onto a mountain. And, and, and he gives them, him some framework. The framework is called the Ten Commandments. Now, what, what we, the, I, I need to tell you, because there's some bad theology out there. These are not ten suggestions. These are ten commandments. But they're not meant to be heavy-handed rules. What they are meant to be is a framework for how the people can live their lives. And find the purpose that God has for them. It's a framework. Uh, I met with some of your leaders yesterday. And, and I, I, I defined it as a, it, it's a racetrack. Uh, I lived in Kentucky for a little while. And, and we learned a lot about horses while we were there. And horses are unique animals. Because if you take a racehorse, a thoroughbred. And you put them out in a pasture. They'll run themselves to death. Because they're built to do what? run right so but they need some framework they need they need a, a a rail they need a a track to run on and they need a direction in which to go right and because if not they'll just run they'll go berserk they'll just run everywhere 
Go, go drive through Kentucky sometime because they let the horses out. They have these incredible barns. They, these horses live in better places than you do. I can promise you that. All right? They really do. All right? And they have these incredible barns, and they'll let these horses out, out into these pastures. And when that horse just gets out there, they just go nuts. They just start running all over the place and hopping. That, don't, don't, I hope that's not on film. Uh, but they, they start doing that, and, and they just run, run, run. And then they have to bring them in, and they have to, you know, they have to put them back in their stall. Because if not, they'll, just, they'll go crazy. They'll run themselves to death. And, and they'll miss their purpose. So they give them a track. And they say, run this way and run inside this fence. So what God's doing with these Ten Commandments, He's not restricting you. He's not holding you back from running. He's not removing freedom from you. He's giving you tracks to go nuts in. Amen. Because what they, what they want you to do, what the horse does is, is when that jockey hears that bell ring and that door opens, there's a term, I used this yesterday, called giving the horse its head. Giving them their head. You'll watch a jockey. They'll be holding on to that horse inside of that stall, the gate, right? And the bell rings. And the first thing they do is they take their hand and they go, boom. And what they're saying to the horse in that moment, run. Run. And that's what God's doing with the Ten Commandments. He's saying run, but run this direction and inside of this track. You go nuts. You're free. And so that's what he's doing. He gives them the Ten Commandments. Now, he brings down those Ten Commandments. By the way, that was just a, that was a freebie message. Okay, you just got that one for free. All right. Now, he brings out, and, and God says, I want you to build an Ark of the Covenant. Okay, you say, Ark of the Covenant. I've heard about that. Okay, Indiana Jones. We good? We got it? Okay, any angel. So he, he builds in the Ark of the Covenant, and, and, and he wants him to build one. And the reason why is he wants the, a place for those, those commandments, that framework, to be stored. He wants it to be a place where people could worship him. It, it, it was a tool. It was a way that they could know who he was and, and know that he was with them. So the Ark represented all of that. That, that they could know God, that it represented the framework for their lives, and, and it, it meant that they knew God was with them. Did you know that God is with you? He is for you. So many times we give God a bad rap. I'm preaching a message series at our church right now called Permission Slip because we look at God as this cosmic killjoy, this party pooper God. And he's not. You know what God says to you? Yes. Yes. Go nuts. Live life. Full life. But here's the frame. Here's the track. Go. Here's your head. And that's what he was doing. So he says, I want them to know. He said, so I need you to build the Ark of the Covenant. But he said, you know what? I need somebody to build it. And there's where we pick up the story in chapter 31 of Exodus, beginning at verse 1. Here's what happens. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur. Do you, do, do you remember anything about Hur? You'll hear about him again in the Bible. Okay? And they are of the tribe of Judah. Now, why is that significant? Let's hold right there for a second. Why is that significant? The tribe of Judah. Who is also of the tribe of Judah? Jesus. Jesus. So, so here's what God is doing. He's already beginning to build the process and the framework for the ultimate provision, the ultimate purpose. And he's beginning with Bezalel. This guy, you don't even know who he is. All right? But Bezalel, his lineage leads to who? David. And then David leads to who? Jesus. Pretty neat little thing there. Okay? So, so he says, I've chosen Bezalel. This is who he is. from the tribe of Jury. Verse 3. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. Now, now notice that. 
as far as I've studied, and, and, and you may know differently, but, but I've looked, this is the very first time in God's Word we see a mention of the Spirit. See, we have this false understanding of the Spirit. We think the Spirit only came at Pentecost. No, the Spirit has always been. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have existed throughout eternity. And they continue to exist for you today. And so this is the very first mention that I have found of the mentioning of the Spirit in God's Word. And there's something important about that. Because if you and I are going to live on purpose, we have to understand that the Spirit is the very first qualification. It's first. Because notice what he says there. He says, I, he, he filled with the Spirit and then with skill, ability, knowledge in all kinds of crafts. Here's the thing. The skill and ability and knowledge may have existed for Bezalel. But they would have never been on purpose for Bezalel and therefore multiplied for the glorious hope that God wants to do in him apart from the Spirit being first. Listen to me. The Spirit of God is what's going to help you to live on purpose. And that's what's happening for Bezalel. So he says, here's this guy, Bezalel. And notice what he says in verse 4. He has the skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. This guy's pretty crafty. I mean, he's pretty skilled. He can work with wood. He can work with stone. He can work with jewels. He can do all kinds of things. It's a pretty amazing guy. Now, I, I want you to think for just a minute about all of those skills and all of those abilities, okay? This guy, Bezalel, where was he prior to this particular moment in history? He was captive. Where did he learn all of these skills? In captivity. That's, that's pretty significant. He learned all of these skills while being captive. See, a lot of times you and I, what we do is we say, well, I can't leverage my life. I can't become all that I want to be. I can't be used in these incredible, glorious, hope ways because I've got all these things. Tim, you just don't know the cards I've been dealt. You ever said that? I mean, if you're not nodding your head yes, then you're lying right now. Because we've all said it. I've said it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I just, if, if things were just a little different. If I could just figure out those five ball numbers and that one red ball number, everything would be great. <laughs> By the way, if you figure those out, uh, bridgepointfl.com, just send me a message. We'll accept anything that you would give to us, okay? Right, if, every, if something would be different, then I could live on purpose, Tim. I can leverage my life if things were different. Look at Bezalel. He's captive, and yet he learns, and he develops these skills. See, you and I often can think of a thousand reasons why we can't do something. But in this passage, we see one reason why we can. The Spirit of God. That's it. I can think of a thousand reasons why I can't leverage my life. Why I can't find the purpose that God has for me. And you can think of a thousand reasons why this or that's not happening. But there's one reason why it will and one reason only. God's spirit. And Bezalel allowed that spirit to captivate his heart and his life. He, God, God didn't go to some politician to build the ark. He didn't go to some important figure. No, who did he go to? An artist. An artist who had accepted the gifts of his artistry from God. He went to a person who was captive. Maybe you're not where you thought you'd be. But that doesn't have to hinder you from being on purpose. Doesn't have to hinder your passions. Maybe your passions don't align with where you are. 
But that doesn't have to hinder you. Listen to this big idea. When God gifts you the passion, wherever you are is the place for that passion to unfold. Even in captivity. Don and I were in Huntington Beach, California last week and we were listening to the story of a man who had been in gang after gang after gang and just in prison over and over and over and over again. And he was given one last chance to redeem his life, to, to, to make a change. And the story is much too large to unfold for you today, but, but suffice it to say that that chance came through people who purposely lived out a passion. And because those people embraced him with that purpose and passion, not their preferences. He would not be one of your preferred dinner dates. He wouldn't be your preferred neighbor. He wouldn't be your preferred church member. But because these people were on purposely living out passion for lives that could change, this man came to know Jesus. It was really cool at the end of the moment, the guy that was teaching us about is a sociologist, very famous sociologist. He said, I'd like to introduce to you that man. And he stepped up onto the stage. Completely changed. Life changed. That's what God has for each and every one of us. And your passion can be found and discovered wherever you are. And it can be used and can unfold wherever you are. Listen to me. Purpose is not contingent on perfect. And aren't you glad? Because none of you are perfect. As a matter of fact, look at your neighbor right now and say, you ain't perfect. No, tell them. I'm serious. I'm not kidding. Tell them. Because you know what? Some of us forget that from time to time. You're not perfect. None of us of all. But purpose is not contingent on perfect. Because if so, all of us would be doomed. All of us would be in trouble. You and I need to quit waiting on perfect. And start living on purpose. You hear me? Listen to me. Church. Look at me. You can explode this building. You don't have to have all the resources. You don't have to have all the questions answered. You don't have to have some magic formula. You just have to have purpose. And when you do that, this place, you'll be in eight services before you know it. How do I know? Because God took a group of people, three families, in St. Petersburg, Florida, who lived on purpose, who trusted God, who grew to 250 people in five years, thought, woohoo, we're a church. God said, I got more than you can even hope or imagine. And he took those people, and in five years, he grew them from 250 people to 3,500 people. Now, how does that happen? On purpose. On purpose. And that's what God is calling you and I to do, is to live on purpose. But let's go back to the story, because I could be here all day, and somebody's going to have to stop me from talking. Verse 6, moreover, I have appointed Oholiab, son of Ahasmach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Now, that's significant, because you've got to understand, where was Bezalel from? The tribe of Judah. Where is Oholiab? By the way, that's a great name. Somebody named their kid Oholiab. I just think that's a cool name. All right. Uh, Danielle, when you have another kid, Oholiab. That's the name. I'm calling it today. That's a prophecy. All right. Uh, don't, don't let me and God down, okay? All right. So here we go. All right. Oholiab is not from Judah. He's from where? Dan. You understand there were 12 tribes, right? Now, these tribes were not the same people. See, here's the thing. You think, well, if we can just get more people like us, we'll make this thing happen. No, you need some people who are not like you. You need some Dan people. 
See, we keep looking for, oh, if ever, I just want, I just love our holy huddle, and I just love it because we just all love each other, and we all like each other. I don't want all those weird people to come in here because, you know, they're weird. You know, by the way, they think you're weird. I just need you to know that. But he chose, Dan, he chose this guy, Oholiab, and he says, I'm going to bring Oholiab to you, and, and, and he's got skill in all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you, he says. See, he wasn't just leaving it all up to Bezalel. He was assembling all of these incredible pieces, which is a very important thing. First of all, I want you to notice, who brought Oholiab? He says, notice what he says, moreover, who? I. I will assemble all the parts. I'm doing this work. And here's a very important thing for you to grab today. When you, God gives you a plan, He always gives you the parts. Don't miss that. You said, man, God's giving me this great idea, but I just need... No, no, no. If God gives you an idea and a plan, He will give you the parts. And if God has assembled a bunch of parts, I can guarantee you there's a plan in there somewhere. You just have to be purposeful about finding it, intentional about leveraging it. He says, I will give you all the parts. You see, I, I remember a time in my life. Again, we've seen incredible success at Bridgepoint Church. We're honored to be measured by people who measure those things as the 13th fastest growing church in America. But what we don't, we have to be reminded of that none of that is about us. It's all been God doing this thing. You see, I, I shared with your pastor this yesterday and, and some of your leadership, and I'm reminded of it regularly myself. Uh, a monkey could do what I do. A monkey could do what he does. The Bible tells us that God can use rocks to talk. He used a donkey to talk. You remember that story? Now, not that your pastor's a donkey. I'm not saying that. But God didn't need us to make this thing happen. But he chooses us. But he doesn't choose us to operate in isolation. He chooses us to work together. And that's what he's doing is he's assembling all these parts. God, when, when we started Bridgepoint Church, it was, it was amazing how God began to assemble parts. People resources, talents, and abilities. You see, that's what it means to live on purpose, to discover your unique shape. and let God. If it wasn't for people, some people who will never, ever see Bridgepoint Church, but God has assembled them to make it all happen. You see, you and I are a part of an incredible story. I could sit here all day, and I wish I had time to tell you the story that God has written in a group of people called Bridgepoint Church. It, you would be blown away at God's provision and how God has supplied and how God has worked and how God has done amazing things. It, it, it's, it's an incredible story, but it's a part of a greater story. The same story that God's writing in Bridgepoint, He wants to write in you. He wants to write in you. There's no difference. Yeah, we, we live on a beach and it's flat. You live in the mountains. But the story is the same. And God has assembled players, people. You're a player. You're part of the story. But you have to be willing to see each other and see the purpose that exists in each and every one of it. Here's a question. Who are the players in your story that you haven't recognized yet? Bezalel could have passed Oholiab on the street and never known who he was. But God brought him to him. So let me, let me introduce you. Because this guy's got something you need. You see, God always puts people around his purpose. Always. Now, now let's jump to the rest of the story. Because we can read a bunch of stuff. And by the way, here's your homework. All right? Read the story before chapter 31, this incredible picture. And then read verse, uh, chapters uh, 32, 33, 34, 35. 
But I'm gonna, I want you to just read that. It would be great reading for you, okay? Read a chapter a day, all right? And, and, and then come back and, and tell your pastor what you learned there because there's a lot there. And we don't have time to unpack it. So, so it, we're going to jump to chapter 36. Flip over to chapter 36. Let's see what happens with this story. God's taken all these parts. He's introduced these players in the story. He, he's, he's got a purpose and a mission and a plan. Okay, so you got the picture? God's been doing his God thing, right? And so we see what happens in chapter 36, beginning at verse 1. So Bezalel, Oholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of the constructing, constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord commanded. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. See, see here's what's happening. People are starting to get involved. People are coming and saying, I want to get in on that. I want to be a part of that. Listen to me. Do you, do you want to have people knocking on your door saying, how do I get involved here? Do you want that? To, would anybody say that, wouldn't, that would be a problem? No, you would want that, right? Do you know how they do? Do you know how that's going to happen? Not because of what happens on this stage. Not because of how eloquent your pastor speaks. Not because you've got great kids ministry. Not because you serve coffee and, and, and donuts and whatever you do. All right, not because of any of that. But because they discover a group of people who are living on purpose. People come to me all the time. What are y'all doing? I literally have people every single week knocking on our doors of our church. How do we get involved with you? How is this happening? What are you doing? We get phone calls. We saw the article in the Outreach Magazine about your church. Tell me, what are you doing? I said, you're asking the wrong question because it's not about what we do. It's about why we do it. People are captured by why. They're captured by people living on purpose. They're captured by mission. They're captured by purpose. And that's what was happening. People were coming. They were gathering together and they were doing the work. And then verse 3, they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring, don't miss this, this is the coolest part. This is the best part of the story. The people continued to bring free will, by the way, not coerced, not handcuffed. By the way, did you know your pastor's job is not to convict, coerce you into doing something? His job is to help you discover passion and purpose and then fan into flame that passion and purpose into a raging fire that sits on top of this hill that people are attracted to. That's what his job is to do. And your job is to let him flame, let him, whatever you call it, let him fan it. You ought to get a bunch, you just get some fans in here and just start doing this. That's your job is to, to let him fan that flame in you. And to live with purpose. But notice what's happening. They were bringing free will offerings morning after morning. See, we get all upset when the pastor passes a bucket or, or a plate uh, on Sunday. Can you imagine if you had to give every morning? What if, the, what if Gateway came to you and said, we're here to take the offering today? What would you do? I mean, you'd be like, no, but look, they're giving every morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who are doing all the work. You're going to love this part. You ready? So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work, okay, they, they said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work. The Lord commanded them to be done. Oh, to have that happen in our churches. Guys, y'all are bringing more than enough. You think that's happening here? Think that's happening in Bridgepoint? No. But the people were so attracted to and excited about purpose and mission. Look what Moses did in verse 6. So then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else an offering for the sanctuary. Oh, for the day that your pastor gets to stand here and say, stop bringing money. Amen. <laughs> I was waiting for you. Wouldn't that be amazing? And why doesn't that happen? Pastor, you got more than enough? 
Do you have more than enough to do everything you need to do here? No. No. But do you know where more than enough exists? I'm going to go to meddling now. You ready? But see, I'm getting on a plane, so I don't care. It's in your pockets. And it's hidden by your preferences. You know what's going to get it out of your pockets? Purpose. Mission. Being the influencer that God has called you to be. He says you can't bring any more money. And so the people were restrained. Now get that. The Hebrew word there that they used meant they literally had to stop them by force. Because they were ignoring what Moses said. We're going to keep bringing money, Moses. We are so into this. Please, don't stop us from it. He had to restrain them from bringing more because what they had already had was more than enough to do all the work. Notice that. All the work. Pretty crazy story, isn't it? You see, you and I have an opportunity to be a part of something incredible. And it begins on purpose. So let me help you as we'll wrap up today. God has a purpose for the passion in your life. God has a purpose for the place you are right now. And God has a purpose for the people that are in your life. He has a place. A people. A passion. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with the passion? The place? The people? What are you going to do that's on purpose? You know what I'd love to do? I'd love to come back here in a year. Invite me back. Okay. I want to come back here in a year. And you know what I want to do? I want to preach in three services. Because you can't get everybody in here. I dare you to live on purpose and see what God does. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pull out my East Tennessee. You ready? I'm going to double dog dare you. You know what that means. That means you got to do it, right? If somebody double dog dares you, you just, you got to do it. I double dog dare you to live on purpose and watch what God does with it. Passion. Place people. You see, Bezalel fades into history. Do you know we never hear any more about Bezalel? Never again. But yet, 10,000 years later, we're talking about him. Why? Because he lived on purpose. <clears throat> so I want to challenge you. We have uh, what I call our Super Bowl coming up. Anybody know what the Super Bowl for the church is? It's called Easter. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to live on purpose. I want you to challenge you to reach out to the people that God's placed in your life. Who is in your life? Let, let me ask it this way. Who do you know that needs to know who you know? Think right now. Who do you know? Coworker, neighbor, family member, spouse, children? Classmate in school, teammate, carpool. Who do you know that needs to know who you know? I double dog dare you to reach out to them on purpose and invite them. As a matter of fact, when you came in today, you were given, this was on your chair. Some of you may be sitting on it. Reach under there, you'll find it. This wasn't here just to be an ornament on your chair. It wasn't there, it was on purpose on the back it says who are you inviting to easter got five weeks after this sunday you got five weeks to live on purpose your influence leveraging who you are your giftedness your talents your relationships where god has placed you where you're working all of that is on purpose god has positioned you on purpose to impact other people who are you going to invite? Who do you know that needs to know who you know? question is, are you going to run the play that's being called for you? Here's the play. You ready? 
We're in the huddle. You ready? Shh, I'm calling the play. Part one, go and be. Go and be all God created you to be. Go and be the influencer, the purposeful living person God has for you. Go be the salt and light in your community that Jesus commanded us to do. Go and be all that you can be in Christ. You ready? And then invite people to come and see. That's the play. Ready? Break. Let's pray together. So as you bow your heads, I want you to ask yourself, am I living on purpose? Am I living intentionally, purposely? If not, would you just ask God to just overwhelm your heart with a desire to know Him and to make Him known to others and to live on purpose Using your influencing, leveraging your life, your talents, your abilities, your resources, so that His kingdom will grow. Living the plan. Going and being. Inviting people to come and see. You say, Tim, it can't be that easy. It's that easy. Go and be. And invite people to come and see. That's the play. Are you going to run it? Ask God to give you three names right now. Right now, God, give me three names. Write them down. Put your name on that. Pass that in as you leave today so that people here can pray for you. Not reach them for you, but pray for you as you go and be what they need to be and help them to come and see. And simply invite those three people to come and see. Here's the deal. 80% of the people you invite will say yes. They'll say yes. And they'll see the purpose that you live in. So this morning, I want to ask you an even more important question. Do you know who you're going and being for? Do you know who you're inviting people to come and see? Do you know the person who needs to know who you know? Maybe the person who needs to know who we're talking about is you. I'd love nothing more than to introduce you to Jesus. Invite you to come and see who He is. And in Him, go and be all He wanted you to be. On purpose, full, living, exactly the life He intended for you. Would you do me a favor? Would you just stand right where you are right now? Just stand. And I want to give... The most important invitation today. And that is for you to put your hope and faith in Jesus. See, maybe the reason why you're unable to live on purpose is because you don't know the one who gives you purpose. You say, Tim, I'd like to do that. I want everybody to bow their heads. Just bow your heads. And if you are somebody, I don't know you. If you're somebody who says, Tim, I don't think I can live on purpose because I don't know the one who gives me purpose. But I'd like to. Would you just do me a favor and just lift your hand up and put it right back down? Just lift it up, put it right back down. Awesome. A couple people in the room. Okay, maybe you're standing here today and you say, Tim, I know the one who gives me purpose. But I've not been living on purpose. I've been living in my preferences. But today, today I want to make a commitment to live a life of purpose. If you're willing to make that commitment to me, would you just raise your hand up and put it right back there? Awesome. All over the room. I'm going to live on purpose. And let God use me, leverage me for His kingdom. So this morning, I'm going to invite your pastor to come and stand right here in front. If you're one of those people who raised your hand and said, you know what? I need to know the one who gives me purpose. I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to just simply, in whatever words you choose, just to reach out to him. I promise you, he's straining towards you right now. You just reach out to him. Whatever words you can use. And then you come and tell your pastor about it. Or tell one of these workers. He's going to be standing right here in the front. 
You just want to come tell him. You can tell him afterwards, but tell somebody. If you're one of those people who said, I'm going to live on purpose, would you make this song your commitment? The song is Christ alone. On purpose. Christ is first. He's the priority. He's the one that's going to give my life meaning. Would you sing that as a testimony, as a statement of your faith and your belief, as a statement of purpose? God, I give you those who are reaching out to you right now, asking you to come into their lives. God, would you change them? Would you help them to have a new life and a new purpose? And God, would you use them to help other people to come and see what they are discovering? God, I thank you for the victory of life change that's happening even in this moment. But God, I thank you for the opportunity that exists in front of these people, your people. As they can begin to live on purpose, checking their preferences and discovering meaning and mission and vision for who you have them to be. God, I look forward to what's going to happen. I believe three services. I'm claiming it. Three services. This time next year, three services. Packed house. People who have been invited because other people went and became what they needed them to see. And God, that they invited people to come and see. Living on purpose. Why? Because it's in Christ and Christ alone that we discover that. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's sing together.